welcome to the Blessed Adventure Podcast. Today we're talking to Becca. Becca is an eye doctor locally to our area. She shares all about her journey from knowing that she wanted to be an eye doctor to owning her own business to how important our customers are. So sit back and relax and listen to her story. So Becca, we're going to talk to you about your business and your family and all the things. So I have to tell you, we've had three this week. One, I did not know at all. Mm -hmm. The other one, I walked in and she said, I think I went to school with you. Oh yeah. And we went to elementary school together and we figured it had been like 35 years since we had seen each other. But what she said, I could see in her face from elementary school. And then there's you and Mm -hmm. I've known you since we were in junior high and there's two things I can think of, smart and nice. Oh, that's very sweet. And so, like, to find out that you owned your own eye doctor office and that you were an eye doctor was not shocking to oh. me at all, all those years later. And you still look the same. Like, it's, I could see you somewhere and just know, okay, I know who that is. Yeah. So let's fill everybody in on your family, so your husband, your kids, mm-hmm. even how you met, where you went to, to yeah. school. So- I grew up in Apple Creek on a dairy farm and then went down to Ohio State for eight years. And the middle of my sophomore year, a man walked in my house, literally. Like I had the door unlocked waiting for a friend to come run with me. And this man walks in my house and it was my husband. Didn't knock, no manners. And he has been part of my life 23 years later. The friend that I was supposed to be running with had actually taken him to get ice cream and said, oh, I have this friend you should go meet. She does swing dancing. And I was into swing dancing at the time and my husband's always up to try something new so he decided to come meet me and that was that total opposites attraction kind of idea yeah I had I knew where I was going at that point in my life I was going to be an optometrist I hoped to come home and open a practice my husband had hitchhiked across the nation stopped lived on a friend's couch took some classes at Ohio State and met me two months later like I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up at all so yeah so he and I have been on this interesting journey ever since trying to figure out what my path looks like which I've always known and how his path aligns with my path but yeah so that's us and, then and that's have- funny because when I re-met you I guess as an adult it was to sell your house yes. and at that time you're an eye doctor and he's an engineer correct so I'm thinking like that he is. has all of his t's crossed and eyes dotted no. and he's OCD <laughs> and all the things but apparently that's not the case no no he is an atypical engineer is what I tell him all okay. the time yeah <laughs> he was a philosophy major for a period of time and he was a landscape architect major for a period of time and then all of my friends So because he didn't live in a dorm, he didn't actually have like ready-made friends at college. So Mm -hmm. he just took over all of mine and they were all engineers because I'd lived in the honors dorm. Mm -hmm. So one of them said, that's great. She's going to be a doctor. What are you going to be? And he was like, oh, what am I going to (laughs) be? And it was an important conversation. And he decided in engineering and he's mechanical engineering was his undergrad, which was great. It has been a, a very nice broad degree for him that he has been able to use in lots of different ways and lots of different jobs. His big thing always has been change. He loves anything new. He loves change. And so there's no keeping him like we joke, but he trades a car every two years. He can't Mm -hmm. drive a car for more than two years. Always paid in full. It's always it's not leased. Like he just loves to buy cars, and so great. He should love houses. Like he loves to buy cars. Correct. Awesome. Yeah. Well, he's stuck with me, who doesn't really like change. So yeah, we uh, we have always had this. Yeah, 
it's, it's worked well. Like, literally 20 years this June, we will have been married. So, And we have two kids, um, a 16-year-old, Anna, and our 13-year-old son, Isaac. So a sophomore and an eighth grader in Wando schools. Tremendous. They're great. And people scare you off about teenagers. And I love both of mine a lot. They're great. Every phase has been fun in parenting. But this one's really cool because they're just independent and they're becoming grown-ups and it's fun to watch and see how they're going to encounter the world and one of them is very much me and one of them is very much him and so it's been intriguing to see how those two things combine into children and how they get raised but oh yeah that's us and then I have a practice in uh I always say my middle child is Family Eye Care of Worcester because I opened that when Anna was six months old. And then um, my kids are like two, almost, yeah, two and a half years apart. So had Anna opened a practice, had a baby, um, Isaac. And yeah, so 16 years later, the practice is going strong and the kids are going strong. It sounds insane right now to say it in that order, but that's really how life presented it and how I rolled with it. So, yeah. So you said from even before college, you knew you wanted to be an eye doctor and you wanted to open your own practice. Yes. What made you want to open your own practice? Well, I grew up on a dairy farm. So my father is and mother are small business owners, essentially, Mm -hmm. every dairy farm is. And I worked for lots of people, like had lots of jobs growing up, worked in a large optometry practice while I was an undergrad with seven or eight doctors. And knew that I loved that idea of being independent, not in corporate. So corporate optometry is like if you work for a lens crafters or something like that, an answer to the corporation. There's a whole lot of pieces of that that's optometry and it's not an optometry podcast, but I'll I'll spare that. But yeah, the, the small business aspect of it, the private practice aspect of it and controlling my own destiny has always been my goal. So I did have a partner to start with and then through lots of things, life presented herself her with other opportunities. And then when Isaac was in first grade, she said, I need to move out of state. And I said, okay, I will be part-time or full-time. Growing up, when I had the babies, I worked two days a week in the office and one day a week at a corporate office because I had massive school loans that needed paid. And so Peter said, his his thing has always been, and he's tremendous in that, is what it, here's your dream, go get it, how can I help? He's never held me back, he's never talked me down, he's always up for whatever I need and always is a partner beside me in that, which is spectacular. Um, so many people don't get that, but he did say, yeah, but you have to pay those school loans. Like my income can feed us and keep a roof over a house, which was bought out of foreclosure, as you remember, and right. we gutted and we put back together. And mm-hmm. yeah, so we made really smart financial decisions there, but I, my school loans have always been my responsibility. So I had a Saturday and then that became a Sunday job paying those back in corporate, which solidified that I really wanted my own practice. So, and that was that more, it solidified it more because you didn't feel like you had control of your time or because you felt like you didn't have control of your career? Correct. And so optometry, like being able to pick who I work with, the staff around me is huge. Now sometimes is my biggest headache and I work with tremendous people in case they listen to this. (laughs) I love all my staff. But so picking my people around me, picking my hours. And as a mother, that was huge to me because I Mm -hmm. always wanted to balance my mother is a stay-at-home mom and became a stay-at-home nana, and she was the room mother, and she was my 4-H advisor, and she was my brownie advisor. My mom was at everything. She never missed a thing. And so picking to be a professional woman, a, a working mother, that you have to balance. Like, I came from this. I understand that all of the opportunities I was provided because she did that, I wanted to give those to my kids in some fashion. And so how do you balance that with the fact that I also know that my skill set, what I was given in this world was to be an optometrist, like that fully fits my skills. And I knew that, and I had people guiding me along the way to help me figure that out. But yeah, so 
being in private practice allowed me to have the balance between motherhood. There really is, I mean, any given day, motherhood is more important or practice is more important. It's never really 50-50. Right. But to be able to make the call that way and to work two days a week doing that and build towards the future so that I had full time and all. Yeah, the trajectory of private practice was definitely where I needed to be. It didn't unfold how I thought it would, just like life never does, right? Right. (laughs) The plan was still to have a partner and to still be part-time and Jokes on me! I'm full time and running it all by myself. Yeah. So, so when you fine. had when you had the kids and you were part time, mm-hmm. how you said that you like knew what your mom had done as far yes. as staying home and how what she did all of those things. Yep. What? How did you decide what you did for your kids? I mean, you, there were some things I'm sure you couldn't do. Correct. How did you pick and choose? What well, did you decide was important? Those that mother that filled in my gaps, you know, like carried me through childhood. She filled in all the gaps for me. So she watched my kids and that was tremendous. And I tell her all the time, like the practice would not look like what it looked like if you hadn't done that. Because mm-hmm. yes, I missed things sometimes. Like I didn't get them off the bus. They just rode the bus to my mom's house the days that I worked. There is a conference that I have to go to every year down in Columbus. And it is the same day as the wax museum always was in third grade. And so my parents are second grade. I think it's second grade. My parents would go and video that and send it to me because it's a two minute wax museum and I'm not going to be there. So they filled in the gaps for that. But I I was the room mother for kindergarten and first grade because those were important years to me and I'm still the soccer code things that I love I'm still the 4-H advisor so I, I filled in as much of those things as I could right. and some of that was I mean we grew up knowing that mom did all of that stuff and she would say fully I can because the working moms can't and so that stuck with me and the things mm-hmm. that I can do that can help other kids still I, I love kids in general so anything that involves me advising other kids I'm going to step up for but yeah Well, and I think that something to think about with that, too, is that some kids don't have a relationship with their grandparents because their grandparents don't choose not to. They don't, you know, they might live 10 minutes away and not go to their sporting stuff or not do grandparent things or whatever. Mm -hmm. So how special for your kids to have that relationship, not just as her as grandma or as her as watching them when you're working, but also how many, you know, they got to, grandma, grandpa got to go to field trips and things like that. And they've got to have a special relationship with your parents, I would assume. Yes. And my dad, as a dairy farmer, missed some of the stuff. I mean, he wasn't at every soccer game that my mom was. The joke is actually my mom went to a soccer game that I didn't go to one time. It was all all the way up in Canton and I played on the boys team and I wasn't going to play that night. And I was like, "Ah, I have a test. And the the coach said, stay home while I this was before cell phones, so I just didn't go. I went home, and my mom was already up in Canton, so she oh, went to more soccer games than I did. Yeah, but yes, I forget what you were. Yeah, the, the my, relationship. Yes, mm-hmm. and my father also now, because he's a retired dairy farmer, the cows went when I went to college. He gets to be a huge part of their life right now, so Nana and Pops mm-hmm. are huge. My husband's family's from Buffalo, so they're part of it, but it, they're four hours away part of it. But yes, that... I grew up with one of my grandmothers across the street and my other grandmother in town in Apple Creek. So all uh, grandma and grandpa across the street, I should say. So every, every living grandparent was within five miles of me. And that was amazing and just a tremendous way. The strong women really guided me through life too. And there's still days when it's a bad day and I think this is a really bad day. And I'm like, and yet you are granny's granddaughter. So step it up and get it done. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I can call on those two special relationships with my grandparents. And yes, that my kids also have that. Like they drive past Nana Pops' house now to go home. And there'll be a lot of days when I'm like, oh, how was it? Oh, well, we stopped over and said hi to them. And we fixed the printer. We did this for them. Aww. And so my son's now their IT calling. That he goes over and helps them all the time. Oh, that's but, awesome. But yeah, I mean, for grandparents to know your kid's nap schedule to mm-hmm. be able to be there 
the other part of that is as a working mom um, and the flip side, and I haven't mentioned my husband used to prior to COVID travel every other week out of state or out of country. So I, I am, when he goes back to this next month, I am a single parent, at least portions of every other week, usually. Mm-hmm. And my parents fill in that gap fully. So if I had a sick baby and pizza in Asia, I can't cancel 25 patients because right. I, you can once in a while. You can't consistently do that and keep a business going. Well, even to reschedule those would be a pain for Bingo, you. Right, because I'm scheduled two months out, right? Sure. So, yeah. So my mother could take a baby when here I dosed this child at two o'clock in the morning. The fever came down. I've got an appointment at the pediatrician at three o'clock. I'll meet you there. And she did all of that. And you can't really do that with normal daycare. You could find a nanny and you could pay extraordinary amounts of money that I didn't have at the time because I had a practice that wasn't paying me and a husband, you know, right. no income. So, uh, yeah, my mom made all of this dream possible for me. So, yeah. So your relationship with your your grandparents and your mm-hmm. grandmothers, it sounds like in particular, is that why you always wanted to, it sounds like you always wanted to cut, like your practice was going to be local. Yeah. For a variety of reasons, although Pete didn't like to hear a lot of them at the time because he wanted a global uh, choice pattern. But mm-hmm. for me, it made the most sense. I am still trading on the fact that I was a good kid at seven and I was a good kid at 15 and I was, you know, people watched me grow up in this area and they knew that I was from good people and they knew that I'd made good choices throughout a lifetime. So it was very easy for me to come back and say, I'm back. And the people that knew me from before then chose to come see me. And that's a really hard thing to build cold in a new place. So I was trading on that, which is one of the nice reasons to come back here. And yeah, I mean, it was, it's a charmed childhood. This is a beautiful place to grow up. We have opportunities here and space here that you don't get other places. Not that other children don't have lovely childhoods, but mine was, was tremendous. And I didn't want to give them that. And the free childcare for a period of time was, yeah, a huge factor in it. And then Melanie called me. There was, I mean, I, I wouldn't have told you my first year of optometry school that I was coming to Wayne County, but it was in the mix because I wanted to be close to one of our sets of parents. And the laws are different in New York to what I could do. Optometry is legislated by a state. And so I have more ability to practice here in Ohio. I can prescribe more stuff and do more things here in Ohio than I could in New York State. Okay. So to move to my in-laws would have been giving up some of my abilities. They just weren't in the same place to be able to watch our kids or the desire to watch them like that. So coming, staying in Ohio was big. And then my third year of optometry school, Melanie called. Melanie was a year ahead of me from Triway and called and said, hey, I have this opportunity to build a practice building. Would you be in? I don't want to do it myself because I want to be part-time as a mom. And I didn't even hesitate on the phone. I said to her, so yeah, she called and said, I have the opportunity to build a practice. And I didn't ask my husband. This is just the way I've done things a lot. And I said, yes, yes, I want to do that. And got off the phone and said to him, I'm going to build a practice in Worcester. (laughs) And he was like, okay, how can I help? (laughs) And every time I've come home with these big decisions, he says, okay, how can I help? Yeah. So that set in that motion because to be able to build your own practice right out of college, out of optometry school is just a gift that most people are not given. I would have probably come back and joined Ron Pycraft's practice, but he ended up selling, which was lovely. Business is an interesting thing. And so you can either buy somebody's existing practice and then you kind of have to follow the rules that they set in place. People don't really like you to change too much if you buy an existing practice, but if you establish your own, you get to make your own rules. And then If people from that practice join you, they understand that it's going to be a new sheriff in town, essentially, and there's going to be new rules to follow. And so they might have loved that, but they're willing to make a change for you for a reason. So 
they changed. And uh, yeah, we opened up cold. Literally every patient in my patient files was named Laufenberger or Lang, Melanie's last name. <laughs> that was it. That's all we opened Hey, your with. family was loyal, so exactly. that's good. <laughs> yep. And so, yeah, now 16 years later, I'm crazy busy and... Every day I see somebody I've known all my life, and that is just amazing to be able to help people that helped me growing up, to show people, you know, parents of, you know, kids I went to school with that are like, oh, I remember Becca, yeah, I'll come back and have Becca do my eye exam, and just to chat. I love I love people. That's one yeah. of the main reasons I picked optometry. There's lots of them, but loving people and being able to serve people that I've known forever is just a really special connection to the community. So let's back up for just a second mm-hmm. and talk about your practice. And that makes sense what you said. We're starting on your own. You make the rules. Yep. I'm sure there's some difficulty in there in the sense that it is cold from, Correct. you know. Cold start is rare. They don't recommend it because it's yeah. risky. But yes, a cold start, you make every decision from decor because we built a phys- the physical building that was mm-hmm. kind of odd. And I'm trying to be really like careful with what I say. I do not want to disparage anybody in any situation. I am in a lovely place and life has interesting twists and turns that put somebody here. But we had the opportunity to build the practice because mm-hmm. Melanie was my partner. Her sister-in-law was a dentist and was building a facility and they needed to build it larger than just their dental facility based on the builder. Made them wanted more square footage for him to sell them that lot. Okay. So they came to Melanie and said, do you want to open an optometry practice? You're graduating. Do you want to be in half of it? And so she said, kind of, but not by myself. And so she called me. We'd known each other through 4-H and and being two years apart in optometry school, it ended up and we just knew of each other. We were be coming back here together. And so she made that call and said, will you do this with me? I'm scared to do it on my own. I'm like, yeah, I'm always up for it. So they built that building. So not only was I cold start, no patients, never had run an optometry office on my own, really had I'd practiced for a year outside of school in a corporate facility, but then had to build a facility, like to pick all of the stuff from, I mean, you mm-hmm. build facilities. So it was really quite insane to do. I, I would not advocate when people ask me, like, should I do this? I try to tell people, yeah, maybe rent a space first. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Don't do all of those decisions. But I have always known my own voice. My family would laugh if they listened to the single laugh because, yeah, there's lots of stories about me at two being firmly knowing what I wanted and what I needed in life. So I make decisions like that very fast. And that wasn't as nerve wracking to me, maybe as making some of the optometry decisions because you're still a new doctor and you're still mm-hmm. learning and making those kind of decisions. So. Yeah. so is there like a, a group or a training center to help you almost like a like you've gone to optometry school, but like you were saying, maybe you're coming across something new. Do you do you have a colleague group where you can throw ideas off of other doctors who have more experience, or how does that work? Yes, it- I, that big practice that I worked for with all those doctors, they were super supportive. Half of them were females, so that was awesome to be able to kind of touch base with those. I am also the first graduating class that had a business course in each grade or each year of optometry school. So before that, they kind of were like, here, be a doctor. And then somebody realized you're going to run a business, so you should have it. So the Fisher College of Business at Ohio State paired with the optometry school. And actually we had a a business course every year. So that was lovely. We also used the Small Business Association, the Small Business Development Center. Mm -hmm. And they helped us write because I had written a business plan for school, but they helped us tweak it and get the numbers and all of that. So we had a business advisor, a retired guy. That's an awesome. If anybody's ever thinking about opening a business, business. I can't speak highly enough of that. And it was over by Bolton Village. Mm-hmm. And then we had to go down to Tuscarora's. Score. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, they great. have a good program. They mm-hmm. do. So when we went to the bankers with 
hey, we could earn some money, but we don't really have any. (laughs) We would like to have money to buy an optometry office. They said, good, who's going to feed you? And then her her husband was a physician in town. And my husband was an engineer. And we're like, these men are nice. And they'll let us do this. Which is horribly frustrating to me right now that that's the way it was. But I also understand that I really was coming at them with a mound of debt from school and Mm -hmm. nothing else. And so they needed just to make sure I wasn't going to starve to death, which was fair, as the banker said. But yes, the SBA helped us out in all of the actual business aspect of it. And they have lawyers that will also help you write contracts and read contracts and things like that. So yeah, they helped a lot. And yeah, my professional vision care in Westerville are the doctors that I would check in with and email and other classmates. My class is weird. Ohio State Optometry is 64 people graduate in a year. So it's very much like having gone back to Waynedale for me. It's a hundred people in Waynedale's class. This was 64 in that. Mm. And my class had a ton of us that cold started for whatever reason. They're just, we all had that same bug. We also got married. Half of us got married <laughs> while we were in optometry school. Mm-hmm. We were in odd class. We also were the first 50% female class at Ohio State. Okay. So yeah, even my own, like the people I graduated with from optometry school that we'd known really well, some of them you could check in with too, but but yeah, and a lot of the business stuff, then I would defer to dad, you know. Well, sure, because he had been in business yeah. for all those years. Dairy's different than optometry, but you still are signing loans. And to walk somebody through that and understand right. that is, yeah, put your head down and make the payments is what dad said. Like, yeah. just do it. Just take sign the paper, put your head down, make the payments. So, which is good advice. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. So the women who were in the corporate office that you had worked in who were supportive, did they look at you like... Well, they were a private practice, just a big one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Did they look at you like you were crazy for doing this cold on your own, or did they think that was awesome? Not... They were very supportive of it because Dr. Burns, Carol Burns was, she had done that herself and she'd done okay. it, you know, 20 years before me. And so mm-hmm. she loved, she's a tremendous person and mentor. And so she loved to see another, not generation, I guess I'm another generation. She doesn't seem that old to me, but yeah, mm-hmm. another person doing that. So very supportive. And yeah, we also provide vision therapy, which is kind of like the easiest way to describe it is occupational therapy for the visual system. We do it. And then Raver here and Kidron does it. And it's super specialized. Other than us, you have to drive like up to uh, outside of Cleveland is the next place that does it. Mm-hmm. And I learned that at professional vision care. And so when I said, I'm going up there and I'm going to do vision therapy, that's what I was for them was a vision therapist. She was all in. She's like, more kids need this. Yeah. Go spread it up there. So very supportive. Yeah. A nice person to check in. Ours was just such a different plan because they were already this big office with multiple locations and we were going to be this teeny tiny, like literally one doctor office because we were half and half. half, half, Right. Mm -hmm. So and interchangeable because our education was so similar that really it didn't matter what day of the week you landed on. You were going to get the same thought process because we'd been trained all the same places with the same people. Yeah. yeah. Which made us Mm -hmm. good partners because otherwise you get too much disparity and that would have been really hard because we had so many decisions to make that if we also would have been battling on every clinical decision, that would have been tricky. So, right. Yeah. So she was a good partner that way. So I know like in real estate, there are some agents. I remember the first time this happened, I was only, had only sold for a few years. And I found out one of the agents in our office had literally bought out another realtor's mm-hmm. business. Yes. Which I'm just like, that is crazy because let's say he has 500 names he, if even if he calls all of them and says, "Hey, Sally May bought my yeah. names," if there's not a connection or they know there's somebody no else, they're not going to say. That was crazy to me. So mm-hmm. that happens all the time. I don't is, okay. Yeah. So yeah. is there a plus to doing that? Is it if maybe security? Why would you do that over starting well, fresh like yeah. you did? Yes, because you get well. Sometimes they're not real clear cut, especially if you're buying their facility too. You don't 
sometimes there's kind of a bait and switch and you just hope they come in and still end up with a new doctor and like the doctor and you leave the staff in place. So it's familiar faces and things like that. Okay. And you have their patient records. And so some people will just say just the inconvenience of having to go ask the doctor for my records and bring it to the new place. They don't want to do that. So there's that hurdle for some people to do, but yeah, it's, it's risky and you pay a lot of money and you, for records, essentially, if you're just getting the records and you won't get all of them to come back. And it depends on the quality of the record that you're getting. You know, if the other doctor did it dramatically different than you did, then you get a record that isn't really valuable to you at all. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's marketing. Essentially, you get a name and an, uh, an address of somebody that you know has gotten eye care before. So it's, if you think of it that way, it sometimes is helpful, but I did not do that. We opened cold and had no records. And yeah. People came to us and brought us records if they needed them. And yeah. But, but like yeah. you said, you had your own system. You got to do it your way. And I was training mm-hmm. on, again, having been a good kid. I say this to my kids all the time, like keep your nose clean like this. If you do right. it right in Wayne County, you don't have to advertise very much. Word of mm-hmm. mouth will spread it. Wayne County is a small town is what I always say. It's Worcester. Mm-hmm. It's Apple Creek. All of those combined is just one little small town and it's, Word travels very fast if you do it poorly or if you do it really well. And so, yeah, everybody came to us. We worked really hard to make sure everybody was ecstatic with us in that first two years. You know, I had nothing but time. I had one patient an hour, so I made sure everybody loved me. (laughs) And, yeah, and I was a waitress before. So I've always said that's a phenomenal job to teach you how to smile for money, Mm -hmm. whether you really want to be smiling or not. Whether you're tired of being on your feet or you're tired of smiling the food or whatever. You've taken it back to the kitchen three times and it's still not right yet still smile and yeah. so yeah that, that was a tremendous job to teach me how to just you know put on a smile and get it done and, and run a right. business and that persona of running a business so outside of being a doctor then there's the whole I have to make the right decision I have to make the right diagnosis all of that stuff right. is different from just making people like you so so I have advised kids they come through and they shadow and I have actually count counseled some children not to go into optometry because it is not their nature to be with people. They would rather be with a computer or by themselves. And that's a tremendous thing, but you need to know that about yourself. I had wonderful people that showed me what I was good at all through my life. And so Mm -hmm. this was a natural fit, but you have to like people to do this job. Right. Mm -hmm. So at year one or, you know, day one, you had people with your last name or her last name. (laughs) So, and now this is year 16, right? So rough, do you have any idea roughly like what those numbers were at year zero, five, 10 and 15 or how many Um, clients do you have now? Yeah, I don't. Well, what I do know is that like I see 25 an hour uh, or 25 a day for five days a week now. And we were doing like five a day in the initial year. So that kind of growth over 16 years and we were scheduled, you know, you could call me next day and get an appointment versus now I'm scheduled. What did I just see seven weeks out is pretty standard, but no, I mean, numbers wise, I don't know that I, we didn't count very well in the beginning years, you know, there were not markers to show because cold practice numbers in a small rural area, there's not really benchmarks to compare that to. Right. Versus now I've got benchmarks like a certain percentage should be towards staff and a certain percentage of income should be towards that. So there's more Mm -hmm. benchmarks for an established office, but it was, it was 
not as slow as it was supposed to be for us because that other office closed in town and sold to a doctor that was not from the area that didn't care to learn the area and those people just all jumped ship. So through nothing other of ours other than putting up a, an ad in the daily record saying these two girls went to local schools and came back and opened a practice were new to the area. It was just lovely timing for us that his practice sold. And so very quickly we got very busy. By like year three, I was busier than I wanted to be mm-hmm. with two small kids. I should say that. So then you had the two small kids. You were working part-time, partners working part-time. Mm-hmm. So it's perfect, ideal scenario. Perfect. And then your son's in first grade. So realistically at that point, you probably did have a little more time without a kid at home. Right. I mean, but that was still probably bombshell, right? Well, the conversation was, hey, we she saw patients two days a week. I saw patients two days a week. That, that middle day, we have the patient flow. We need to add to it. We've got the real estate that is sitting here empty with a staff member that's not being, so I'm looking at it going, we need to make money out of that day. I'm ready to take that on. She had four kids and okay. I had two. And I said, I'd like that extra day. And she said, well, I actually have to move out of state. And I was like, okay, so I'll take them all. And so walked out of that conversation, called my husband and said, I just bought the practice. And he was like, okay, how can I help? <laughs> now, is that scary to have got, I mean, because yes. I would assume like, okay, now it's taking more of your time. Mm-hmm. It's also money to buy somebody out, but then. She self-financed, which was nice. Okay, that is nice. Because yeah, then there was make me go to the bank. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Right. But then now it's like, you which don't have that person to Good pay. lawyers. And by the way, I want to put a word in for lawyers because yes. they get a bad rap, but. The phenomenal lawyer that had set us up with a tremendous partnership agreement. So as soon as one of us wanted it, the buy-sell was there. This is how it works out. If you want out of this, this is what you have to do. It was all a legal document. There was no conversation. It was done. So yeah, first person out. So tremendous lawyers here in town that really set us right. And I've thanked Chris many times for that. But at, well, in the very weirdest moment of my life, I would have been panicked. And all it was was pull out the document, read it. This is what we have to do now. So. Well, then it was easy for both of you because there was right. no fighting or yeah. you know disagreement right. or stress. Because it's like we already mm-hmm. agreed. This works. Here we go. Exactly. So, and we didn't think when you wrote it, we thought we'd never need it, right? Mm -hmm. She never foresaw the things that were coming in her life at that point in time. So neither of us really ever knew that we would be here, but Mm -hmm. that's what they're there for. That's what the lawyers look at and go, this might happen. You should think of this contingency and and have it in place. So great lawyers, which are not cheap. And so we had used the SBAs to start with, but luckily had been able to afford better lawyers in the end. Right. uh, Yeah. They really, they get a bad rap, but business lawyers will save you time and time again. So good contracts are a lovely thing. Yeah. And I know I, I was in a group, like a women's group and was, it was a person not in the area. And so you, you pay this fee and then they have this Facebook group and all these women mm-hmm. make comments. And I actually stopped because I got tired of things like, Oh, you don't get a lawyer. Just Google mm-hmm. it and do the docs online. Or, you know, right. just some of the things that they would say about other stuff too, like taxes, same yeah. way you can do your own taxes. You just, I'm just like, no, 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 no you don't. There's a reason there's professionals Correct. in every area. You absolutely can, but you should not. Like, right. Yeah. Another, yeah, my banker and my accountant and my uh, lawyer are lovely people. And mm-hmm. I've found through trial and error ones that I really trust and have walked me through some really sort of major life decisions. I mean, mm-hmm. those big ticket items like buying a practice and buying the building. We also mm-hmm. built a new building, part of the drama of my last 16 years. <laughs> uh, but 
we built our own space because the space we were in, we needed out of for a variety of her emotional reasons. And so we were going to a banker again. And I, I really despised debt. I grew up in a dairy farm and we always had enough. My parents always provided enough, but we were always in debt. And that was a true thing that most dairy farmers just live in revolving debt. That's just how it is as an operating loan. And I really didn't want that. I wanted to be able to see the end. One of the reasons I picked optometry was because of that I, I wouldn't always be in debt. And uh, mm-hmm. again, right out of the gate, three years in, we're like going to a banker to build a building because we needed to. It all made sense. It was a great thing. And I was hesitant to do it because of that. And the banker, who is also now my cousin's father-in-law, because that's Wayne County, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it wasn't at the time. But he said, Becca, make a business decision. Don't make a don't make a personal decision about her family situation because we were leaving her in-laws like they were our, our landlords, right? Or her, yeah, her sister-in-law. Don't make a family decision for her. Make a business decision for you. And rates are great right now. And the builders are waiting and you're going to get a tremendous deal. And it, that lot's open. Make a business decision. And I did. And Mike was totally right and helped us out. SBA helped us again. And mm-hmm. yeah, to women getting loans, the SBA really likes that. <laughs> they like to give female yeah. business owners loans, which was lovely. And now I don't have an SBA loan anymore, which is a beautiful thing too. Yeah. <laughs> to get rid of those. But. Well, and even your buildings, I mean, this, the building that you're in now fits your practice so right. well. You would have outgrown yes, that other space, space anyway. You would have needed the basement um, to have two stories and then you have to have an elevator. And yeah, it was it yeah. Would have been a nightmare. And, and they were not making business decisions. They were making family decisions of, oh, well, you can pay half of what we paid to build it. Well, the building was not worth half what they paid to build it. And so mm-hmm. that's where the bankers like, don't go that route, do what's best for you. And so, yeah, we built and Weaver did a phenomenal job on my building and so lovely. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, but again, make tons of decisions here. Now build a building. Okay. I've been in practice for three years. Sure. Let me think about how to build a building now. So. Well, one thing though, at least it was year three and not year zero because year zero, you like by the third year, you might've known, okay, I want the waiting room to be like this, or yes. I want the other rooms. Correct. So probably less likely that you would have changed something rather than if you did it year that first day of business. Yep. Yep. And the good thing optometry school did do when you were asking before how we learned stuff is one of your rotations. Well, all of your fourth year, you rotate through different types of optometry, like different mm-hmm. modes of practice and different offices. And so I had seen and been a part of a lot of them and kind of knew what flow I wanted. And so we had mm-hmm. built that the first time. And then you're right. Um, for the second one, it was like, oh, well, that needed to be bigger and this needs to be here. And so we got to change some stuff around and uh, yeah, the architects at Weaver were very receptive to that and made good suggestions as to what else we should change for stuff and, and built it exactly like we wanted. So at this yeah. point, I would, I actually built like outlets and walls where they could be dropped in again. And I'm looking at, well, should I start doing that? Is there more growth that I have to put in? But mm-hmm. right now I'm in the pause. My husband would like to build an empire. That is his nature. He would like to go bigger and more and there's practices for sale and we should buy those. And I am enjoying where we are. And as my kids leave, yes, my practice can make different decisions. But for right now, I'm holding steady and loving what I do. So I'm not expanding right now. But I right. Will, yeah, I will bring in another partner someday. Well, and the partner scenario was perfect timing where you became full time when your kids were in school. Like Correct. that couldn't have worked out. Correct. Absolutely. It would have been Absolutely. a lot more stressful if you like a one year old and a three year old, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. 
crazy. It would have been, and my husband's still traveling. Like, oh yeah, he would have had to make different life choices. And as it is, he got to do what he needed to do and work mm-hmm. jobs that he enjoyed most of the time. Some of them he didn't love as much and he kept for us because we needed the insurance or we needed that income. Right. But once we could, we made sure he got into jobs that he loved as much as I did because that was only fair. But yes, with him traveling and small children, it would have been a nightmare. He still traveled literally up until this year, which mm-hmm. we joke because, you know, I was part time. I stay home. I was only gone for the kids two days a week as far as I knew. And they were with Nana's. And then uh, they remember none of this. Like I went to story times and we did all of this <laughs> stuff and none of it. And now because they're 16 and 13 and my husband's been home with them for a year, this is the year they're going to remember. It's the year dad oh, yeah. took everywhere. He did that. Like, yeah. Oh, for the love, I keep saying, I'm going to pull out your baby books. And my mm-hmm. daughter calls my bluff and says, we don't have baby books. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull out the pictures on my phone and show you all the things that we did. <laughs> and uh, so you can remember all of the years that I was home. It's not why I was there. It wasn't for the glory of that. It was to spend the time with the kids and they've turned out lovely. So it was a right. great investment of my time. But but it is a little frustrating for them to only remember right. the year that dad's here. All right. The time. <laughs> So. so do your kids ever talk about doing the, uh, being an eye doctor and doing the business with you? Anna, no. Okay. Um, Anna wants to be uh, a business owner herself. She definitely is taking entrepreneur classes next year at school okay. and looking definitely to own a business. She thinks wedding planning right now or a mm-hmm. wedding venue, that would be up her alley and she would love to do that. And Isaac is definitely not going to be an optometrist and I love him a lot, but he, I can't even talk about eyes really around him. Like anything bloody, he's like almost vomiting he's not that kid so yeah you do actually have to dig things out of eyeballs and oh never be able to do that in a billion years so <laughs> so yeah he is not that and that is fine I don't they don't need to live my dream this is what I was meant to be and but neither of them do but I think it's interesting Anna wants to own a business she right sees that and she wants that for herself and so that makes me very proud to know that I set this up as an option for her right and she sees Owning a business is a potential option as a mom, too. That she right. doesn't feel like it was catastrophic and she needs to be a stay-at-home mom because I miss things, you know? So Well, and that's what I thought was interesting, too, because your husband has always been an employee and that's worked out great. Yes. You've always owned your business and that works out great. So your kids have seen mm-hmm. the best of both scenarios. Correct. What are their tendencies more? And your daughter it kind of goes more toward owning her business and your son doesn't want to be an eye doctor, but does he, how does he lean more towards teaching? He loves okay. to teach and he is, he would be lovely as a teacher. His math is, he's gifted at math and he thinks he'd like to be a math teacher and he will be that like quirky. His, his sense of humor would be amazing for a math teacher. I've had a couple of those that are just wry sense of humor, sarcastic and the kids love them. That would be Isaac in, in a nutshell. So if that's what he wants to be, that would be great. But yeah, yeah that's what he's saying right now. So we tease him that we think it might be because he thinks he gets two months off a year. Yeah. <laughs> That's just his personality. Like, yeah, I, I will do as much work as it takes to succeed, but not any more than that. But, gotcha. not, but we have good friends that are teachers and they have told him for sure, you do not actually get two months off. But in the right. back of his head, maybe you do. So, yeah. I have to ask, mm-hmm. what are you digging out of eyeballs? Yeah, foreign bodies. People come in at least once a week. Well, at least couple times a month, I guess I should say, with metal in their eyeballs. It's usually that they've left there for a day or two, so they're rusted and you have to dig it out and oh. take the rust off of it. And yeah. Or like insect legs that get trapped and pieces of uh it's usually projectile, like something flew in, mm-hmm. nerf parts, nerf guns do damage that you have to either pull the extra skin that they created off or yeah. <laughs> but people can't see at home with the squirmish faces on the table. <laughs> And I love that, and which is why 
whenever those come in and I get excited, I always say to the people like, this is why, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. Like the, the fact that I love this means yeah. this is where I was supposed to sit in life. So growing up wanting to be an eye doctor, mm-hmm. were you like me where you thought there might be an occasional, like take a tissue and touch a bud, you know, like that comes out yeah. or did you know it was going to be like, yeah, digging it out. I, well, yes. I So my journey for optometry started and the admissions committee thought that was just hilarious because they asked you this question, like, how did you decide to be an optometrist? We had a cow die on the farm when I was 10 of unnatural causes. So we couldn't do anything with her body. Like that's worst case scenario for a farmer because you didn't make money off of her anymore and you can't make money off of her body. And that's bad. And I have a big brother. My siblings are nine and seven years older than I am. And so or. 10 and 8, depending on the year. Anyhow, he is old enough to use a knife at that point, right? And so I said, let's take parts out of her. And he said, sure. And so we worked and we popped her eyeball out. And I came running in the house at 10, holding this eyeball. Now my mom is my son, totally squeamish, can't do any of this. And she's like, what do you have? And I'm like, it's a cow eye. It's the coolest thing ever. And, and God love her. She said, put it in a jar wash your hands. We'll go to the library because I'm old. So she drove me to the library. We got a book. I sat at the dining room table and I carved up this eyeball. Okay. This is at 10. And then the teacher decided I should do it as my science fair project. And so then my beloved mother had to go to the butcher and they said, what do you need? And she said like two eyeballs in this jar and I can't see it. And so she had to (laughs) sign the rights to the eyeballs saying she wouldn't eat them and she wouldn't use them for like satanic rituals and all of this stuff. She's like, just two eyeballs in a, in a jar, in a bag. Don't let me see them. Yeah. And I dissected them in front of the class as a whatever science fair show and three kids left the room to vomit. Like, and then I realized I might be different, right? Like this might make me different than these people if I think this is really cool. So that's like first light bulb moment. And then in high school, so I wanted to help people. I knew that I had broken my arm when I was a freshman and I thought kind of orthopedics would be cool because I've always liked to work with my hands, took all kinds of robotics classes and things like that. And always really loved building and tearing apart stuff. So then in high school, I broke my arm and the orthopedic surgeon was kind of an interesting man. I'll say nice things. (laughs) And he... I stayed awake for my second and third surgery. And so he was saying to me, like, you don't really, I I refuse to be put asleep, I guess I should say. So the people that say I've always known what I wanted to be at 13, I went toe to toe with an orthopedic surgeon and said, you're not knocking me out for the second and third surgeries. Like you just don't get to. (laughs) Now, is that because you wanted to see what he was doing because that that was interesting or you were terrified to be put under? No, the first time when I was put under, I didn't come out of it easily. Like I was conscious for about a half an hour and couldn't move my body. And so I hated that. And then and yes, the second and third times I said to him, well, you can do an axillary block and you can just block my arm and I won't feel anything. And he was like, why do you know that? And I said, well, I love the human body and I've memorized all the parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, yeah, I don't want you to knock me out again. And so he said, okay, I'll make you a promise. If you freak out, I'm putting you out. And I said, that's fine. If I freak out, put me out. And then about two minutes into it, he realized I was actually really involved. And so he's chatting with me and telling me what he's doing and, you know, walking me through all the parts. And I'm like, this would be a cool job. And he said, yes, until you wrestle a hip into place for 45 minutes. And he said, no offense to you, but I was small. I was born little and uh, I was born huge actually thank you mom she carried a 10 pound baby for an extra month oh wow and but then I was tiny I'm a year younger than everybody else in my class and I didn't grow Mm -hmm. till high school and so he's looking at me going it's a lot of physical labor and but that was the first that I kind of thought about surgery of some sort and then I had a speech uh, class in my senior year where you had to go interview the person that you wanted to become and so at that point I'd kind of given up on surgery because I realized I liked people I was a waitress and I loved people and I love people of all ages. And so I went and interviewed Dr. Jolliffe in town, who was the only female 
physician in the area. She nicely gave me time out of her day for the stupid speech class, you know, very, very fortunate that she did that for me. And she said, that's fine, but you will have days when as a mother, you have to walk away from your kids who are sick and leave them with your husband or somebody else and go take care of somebody else's sick kid. Like your patients will have to be number one for you some of the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought at the time, okay, I could do that. And about two weeks later, I thought, "Mm, I don't want to do that because I was watching a sister who was a single parent making that decision. My parents filled the gap and they took care of her kids and they're amazing and they're lovely adults. And, but I didn't want to make that choice. And so I'm like, what other kinds of medicine can I do? And so I started looking out and Tim Karg in town, Dr. Karg said, sure, you can come shadow me. Spent a day with him, came walking in the house, running in the house afterwards. I said, mom, I'm going to be an optometrist. And she's like, do you remember sitting at that table, dissecting an eyeball? Like we all knew this is what you were going to be. But my people know me well enough to have never told me that because if anybody would have told me, Becca, you're going to be an optometrist, I would have probably never done it because that is my personality. I had to find it myself. Yeah, your decision. Yes. Mm -hmm. And my parents have loved me and known me well enough all of my life to let me make those decisions. And so here I am with it and I love it. And it is absolutely the best use of everything. That's my optometry path. So what is the biggest lesson you've learned having your own business in the field that you're in? To surround yourself with the best staff you can. They make you better every day. There is never a chance. I love to act like I can do it all. In my head, I can, but I fully know in my heart that I can't. And so to find the very best people you can and put them with you and listen to them when they have ideas. A cool part of what I do right now is as a boss to find people's fortes and get make jobs for them or put them in those roles. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't even know that that's what they're good at. And I love to find that and be able to match them with the right jobs. And so that's been really fun for me to give others opportunities to work in my office. But yeah, that would be the biggest one is is have good people around you. So at the end of the day, it all falls on me. And I know that and I will do any job and I will take out the trash and I have and I will clean up the vomit and I have and I will uh, balance the checkbook, which I still do because I love to because I'm weird that way. I do all my own accounting. But yeah, the better people you have around you, the better it makes your business run. Right. Hands down. How many employees do you have? 10. So was it hard to get into that groove of finding the person who was a right fit or because you like people, do you read them easily and you could, I do read people like that's what I do 25 times a day, right? Is what do you need? Where are you at? How do I communicate with you? How do I get to people are a puzzle too, for me too. I have to get their diagnosis. I have to get the prescription on. I love puzzles. I always love math and science. There's a right answer. So that's fun for me. But yeah, the There have been challenging employees, I will say that. That's not always been the right call, but since I've been able to make all of the calls by myself, having been on my own this period of time, it has been easier. I can trust my gut more on people and give people chances when I need to. I will say that I've had one employee that literally started, she had been an employee of the office that had sold and he, that doctor had called and said, hire any of them, they're tremendous. And I said, well, what about this one? And he said, definitely hire that one. And so I hired her and she has been with me. She trained, Peter set up our computer system in our dining room at our Dalton house. And she came to my house and learned the computer system. So she has been with me since before I had a building and she is still oh, with me. Wow. So yeah. And through all of it, she was an optician and she knew good things and had the wherewithal to tell me, you know, this should be done this way. She thinks like I do on a lot of things. So she has been tremendous to have by my side through all of this, you know, through right. having two bosses and then one boss and then, you know, all of the things that let's move and let's do all of this stuff. So right. she has been the rocks. I actually have three of them that have been with me for 14, well, no, four of them that have been with me for more than 14 years out of those 10, which is pretty cool. 
Well, and there's got to be a good chemistry there for that Correct. to be the yeah. case as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and there is no office manager. Like, it's me. I, I do all of that. So mm-hmm. there's no layer between us and them. So was there anything about being a boss that you that was different than you expected? I am not confrontational. And mm-hmm. you do actually have to be confrontational sometimes. Like, there are just things that aren't the way you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And I have to talk myself into that. I'm the youngest kid. You kind of go with the flow and try to make everybody happy. That was just always my role. So to be able to say to yourself, no, this is your practice. They're supposed to do it your way. I have to talk myself into that sometimes and still probably don't do that as well as I need to. The very worst part of owning a business is firing somebody that I'm never going to be good at. I just have decided that's never going to be something that's easy for me. It has to happen sometimes, not right now. Nobody that works for me is in danger, but it has had to happen. And that was awful. And I was not prepared for that emotionally or it wasn't a surprise, but I mean, it was still awful to to look at somebody and say, you no longer work here. So yeah. yeah. But I mean, sure, awful, but necessary. Kind of like punishing a child, you know, the same. And you have to say that this person doesn't work here, but this isn't the end of the world. Like they, this isn't the right fit for them. So mentally you have to know that you're freeing them to go do whatever they're actually supposed to do because this isn't it. And they're probably, I mean, in a sense, they're happier if they're doing Mm -hmm. what, you know. Yeah. One of them, the worst firing and it's long and it's epic and I won't share it because it's private. It was a horrific event, like locked keys and snow and all kinds of crazy stuff as I fired this poor woman. And she is the first like every time there's anything on my Facebook page for the office, she's first like. And so I'm like, well, she doesn't hate me because yeah. she's first like and all of that and nothing derogatory. So yeah, I tried to make sure that I'm not, yeah, uh, they're not sticking a uh, voodoo doll. I'm not being pinned in the back you know well and being the owner mm-hmm. isn't always easy because yep. you like you said the buck stops with you and Correct. you have to take care of all that stuff and, yeah. and in the difficult. beginning it was you know 3 a.m i was submitting insurance claims because we didn't have an insurance person and mm-hmm. yeah you can delegate and delegate and delegate and but you still have to keep your thumb on the pulse of all of it because right there's still money being done and people could still steal from you and you know right you trust them all but you still have to be realistic in all of it so yeah. right if there's something you could do differently looking back over the last 16 years, what would it be? Yeah, I'm kind of one of those people that goes back and says within a year or two, like that's where, why that happened. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hard at regrets because I don't really have them because I feel like I learned from all of them. I mean, well, that's good. Yeah. And sometimes it takes years before you see like the very worst week of my life. Five years later, I could tell you why each of those things happened. But in the beginning, in that week, I thought my world was ending and I had the Mm -hmm. worst migraine I've ever had and it was awful. But all of the horrible things that happened then all had a great thing that came out of them in the end were the right things. So yeah, that's hard for me. If I had had a grand plan that I was doing and then something failed, I would feel differently. But what I always say and what I try to teach my kids is just play the hand that you're dealt. You never know what the next card that's going to be thrown at you is, but look at it and look at the hand you're holding and decide what your best options are and then play that. And it might not ever end up the way you thought it was going to, but you can't go back and change what you were dealt a lot of the time. So right. just deal with what you've got. What's something that you did right that you know, if I was going to talk to another you know, young person wanting to start a business, I know I did this thing right and I would tell them I did this right and you should do it too. What would that be? Invest in the relationships of the patients. Make sure you sit down, you hear them and you answer their problems. Like people will tell you what they need if you ask the right way. And so make sure you do that. And if you do that well, then they are your best advertisement ever. Sure. Do it well and listen, learn to listen. And that's not an 
a normal skill, for, especially for people that are very used to making very fast decisions on lots of stuff. Sometimes you just have to sit back down and listen to the patient. And right. the more you listen, the more you learn. When I saw you or my son or one of us right after you had opened up, so you had been closed eight weeks. I remember you uh-huh. saying that because you are a saver, you had the money to keep your staff. So there are two things that I just, that sticks out to me. Number one is you are very careful with money. Yes. And I'm, I'm sure not everybody is who's in your position. Right. So that was impressive that you were a step ahead of the game. Yeah. But number two, some of the money you had set aside to do something at, at the office and you used that to keep your staff, mm-hmm. which was like speaks volumes about your leadership and what you think is important. So tell me, were you nervous through that? I mean, yes, you had the money. Yeah. Yes, you had it saved, but you were cl- you couldn't see patients for eight weeks. Six weeks it was. Okay. Six weeks of no routine care, which is what I do all day long. That's, you know, 20 of the 25 people is routine care. Five of them are, I have pink eye and you need to treat it. I have a foreign body you need to take out. I have an ongoing eye condition that you have to manage. And that's all I was allowed to see during that time was those people, the non-routine stuff. Yeah, it was, it was like full stop for me. I mean, I'd been running for... 15 years, full on, no breaks. And to have six weeks of full stop, it was bizarre. And and I'm a doer. I don't sit still. So that's the other thing is finding, as a boss, finding the people that sit naturally and love to sit and people that have to move and have to keep moving. And I'm a keep mover. And so finding things to keep me moving during that period of time was crazy. But yeah, it was scary. And Again, Peter was, you got it. How can I help? Which is always his response and is lovely. And it was like, okay, if you don't take a paycheck, we're fine. Like we've got it at home. So just do what you need to do for your people at the office. And I was saving for carpet. And so I keep joking with patients. Like when you come in and there's new carpet at Family Eye Care Worcester, you'll know we're done with COVID finally. And I said to my staff, like, I will pay you as long as I can. And some of them said, well, if you're paying us, we'd like to be here in any capacity that we can be here. How can we help? And so they came in and I paid them all as if they were all there. And then some of them did essentially then volunteered because they weren't being paid more to be there with me. But yeah, to find just busy work for myself, all the things that, oh, I might do this someday. I did all of them during that time. Yeah, I took walks with my kids because I'm like, we got to get outside. I never get to be outside. So let's use this time to be outside together. And we walked mm-hmm. every day of that pandemic break. But yeah, it was petrifying. But again, knowing that I, my house was safe and I wanted to make sure that my staff all felt that way. Like I, I knew I wasn't going to lose anything because I have a great partner and I wanted them to feel that safe in their homes. And I didn't want them to be on unemployment and trying to figure that out and navigating all of that and the chaos. I just needed them to, to know that they were safe and that I was going to take care of them. Well, and I'm sure that I mean, I'm sure they were loyal to you before, but I'm sure that spoke volumes yes. even more. Like they knew that you were awesome, mm-hmm. but then that had, there had to be like almost like a security, I don't know what word I'm looking for, security or solidifying, like, wow, she has our back basically. Yes. And then one of them, so I had one that was out on maternity leave and then chose to not come back. And I think that probably would have happened anyway. She just needed to be home with her son. And that's an absolutely valid choice. And lots of people make it. And I support her in that. But then I had to backfill a position. And then I had another one that at my front desk has a chronic illness, like a inflammatory disease. And so she needed to stay home after this. She does it. She wanted to retire early. So I had two that left, which I completely understood, but then I had to backfill two positions in the middle of a pandemic where nobody's wanting to work Mm because there was a lot of incentive to stay home for a period of time there too, and not go look for a new job. Sure. And so I had to, yeah, fill new positions. And the loyalty is the 
people that worked for me brought me those people. They said, she's a good boss, come find it. So I did run some Indeed ads and it was chaos and a long story. In the end, the two people that I found that are phenomenal fits for my office were brought to me by current employees and said, here, come work for her. So that is the gold star. I always say I was a straight A student. I always went for the A. Individually, I'm very motivated. I'm not competitive against people. I'm competitive with myself. And so I'm always the AAA and I don't get A's anymore. Nobody gives me a test and says, Becca, prove you can do this. But my A as a boss is come work for her. She's amazing. Right. And my A as a doctor is, hey, I brought you my mom and my child. You know, if I, you trust me with your parents and your kids, that's the highest praise I could ever get. So those are my mm-hmm. A's nowadays. Yep. Very good. Is there anything else that you want to share or add? Oh, goodness. No, I've overshared enough. Oh. <laughs> no, you did great. I love it. Oh. One more thing. Uh-huh. So if we were at, if we were to ask your husband mm-hmm. what's going to be here in five years, it sounds like you're going to buy like 10 doctors out. You might have a practice in Hawaii <laughs> yes. and all kinds of different things. Well, and also, this is my baby. So like he helped me set it up, but he will also tell you that he is not a part of family I care most right now at all. And, yeah. and that's how he would want to be. And he's tremendous business sense. And so it, at the end of the day, if I needed to, I know I could ask him and he would come in and run books with me, but he sure. does not. It's me and it's him. And so, but yeah, that was what he would look like. So what would you look like for you? Five years from now, let's see, Isaac is, it's always about my kids to me. I start there. Isaac will have just been out of school. So yeah, I, within the next five to 10 years, I need to bring in a partner. That is the one thing about being a single practice. And that's what I said through all of this pandemic is, you know, I get sick and we're closed for an additional two weeks. Like anything that happens to me, it's rough as, Mm -hmm. as the only doctor, as all of the income comes off of physically my body, it's, it's a lot of responsibility to keep myself healthy and well and there all of the time. And I have a knee that's above me and probably could stand a surgery or at least some scope work and I don't do it because that's six weeks out of the office. And so at some point in the next five to 10 years, I'm going to have to do those things. And so I need to bring mm-hmm. a partner in so that I can do that time off. And I, we're going to want to travel. We love to travel. Right. And I don't make money when I walk out of that office. And I do that two weeks of the year. I pay them. My staff gets vacation, but I do. I take the trips and I go with the kids, but I would like to do that more and not have the practice go to a standstill when I'm gone. So right. I will be a partner and I will be in it less probably go to four days or three days or mm-hmm. <laughs> travel more. Yep. Sounds good. So tell us again, the name of your practice and where you are. Are, are you, you taking new patients? I am currently. Yes. Okay. Um, I was not right through the pandemic because I needed to be loyal to the people that are loyal to me. But as for right now, I'm taking new patients. Um, It's Family Eye Care of Worcester, and it is right between Worcester Township Elementary and the Hilton Garden Inn on the south end of Worcester. So right across the street from ATI. Very good. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. That was fun having me. We all have a purpose and we have dreams to follow. To learn more about other women and their stories and their dreams, like and subscribe. Until next week, be a blessing to others.